hey, I'm glad you're here. Uh, the, the psalmist David uh, said that it's good to be in the house of the Lord. I used to think that that was just something fun to say, but it's true. Uh, it's good to see you. It's good to worship with you in person, online. Thanks for joining us. Um, I, I hope you grab some coffee for the three of you that drink decaf. There's decaf this morning. I don't understand decaf unless you need it. You're one of them. Um, so, and oh, there's two. So there's two of you guys can share what's left. Um, but I'm glad you're here. Uh, we are in our book, the book of James. We're talking about uh, very practical stuff that James talks about when he comes to his, his writing. Now, for those of you who don't know, James was the half-brother of Jesus. He was the lead pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, he ended up dying for his faith. Here's a tidbit about James. He was thrown from the roof of the temple and then beat. Uh, and so this guy knows a little bit about trials and, and how to overcome them and knows a little bit about how to live your faith in the toughest of circumstances. Okay, so we're going to jump in. James chapter 2, if you want to read along with me, uh, I'm going to read the text and then we're going to talk about the juicer that I own. What good is it, my brothers, if man claims to have faith but no deeds, can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, is, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. You foolish man, do you not want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for he did not, for he did, for what he did, wow, when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did? when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. We have a juicer in our house. It is a fantastic juicer. It can juice anything. You can drop in any kind of fruit or vegetable, whatever you're looking for, and it goes down this thing and you squeeze it down and it goes, makes the weird, loud, annoying noise that wakes everybody up in the house and it spits out, literally, it sounds like it's spit, like into the cup, juice. It's great. I love it. Kale, berries, spinach, tree bark, dirt, whatever you got, whatever you want in your compost can, I guess that's how you make kombucha. You can mix it up into there and then you get juice. And for a while, it was the best thing that Carrie and I owned. We'd tell our friends about it and they would tell us about their juicer and they would talk about their recipes and how they put a little bit of wood chips in and it clears up your skin, you lose 20 pounds. It's amazing. But then here's what happens. You wake up one morning and this, this has happened in our home. We woke up one morning and we didn't have any of the ingredients. 
We didn't have any berries. We didn't have any kale. Oh, no, how do we live in Washington and not have kale? It's like one of the things you have to have in your home. We forgot to go to the store. We don't have a garden that grows that stuff for us. And so this went by. We're like, oh, we'll skip it today. And then we skipped it, and it was fine. Trust me, it was great. And then the next day goes by, and we didn't have the juicer, and it kind of went away. And then pretty soon, one day, I'm looking for my skillet to fry up the bacon, which you cannot juice. And uh, I'm looking down into this cupboard of ours, and I'm, as I'm bumping my head on everything, I, I look, and I see our juicer. It's been sitting there for the longest time. I even forgot we had it. But it was there, ready to be used. I bet you know where I'm going with this. What good is that juicer if it sits in the bottom of my cupboard and does nothing? Sure, having a juicer is great. It's like having a treadmill in your downstairs room. It just sits there. But it doesn't do anything until you plug it in and juice with it. You can own a juicer. You can have two of them. You might even throw in a, a, an extra bit and have a magic bullet. Those things are just magic. You might have all of those. You might convince others that they too need a magic juicer, or magic juicer, magic bullet, whatever they're called. But if your juicer lives in the bottom of the cabinet, what difference does it make in your life? Zero. See, this is what James is talking about here. James, this is one of the complex passages we get to in James. It's pretty plainly written what he says, but there's a lot of history that you and I might bring into this passage that muddies our waters a little bit. It talks about works. It talks about deeds. And then we go, oh, how, how does this work? But James is writing these few verses to this group of Christians who is scattered, being persecuted for their faith, and he's trying to get them to apply the book and their faith to, this li to their lives. James is everything, and he's practical. These people he ri he's writing to have been struck by famine. They've struck by sickness. Many are going through uh, everything, and James is concerned about a problem that he's been hearing about about the earliest church, that how they had the right words to say, they had the right belief system, but they didn't practice anything that they talked about. And it's likely that James heard a rumor uh, about people talking about faith, but their faith wasn't rich, their faith wasn't lively. Uh, it was a bunch of people who didn't do what they actually talked about. They, in, in the terms that I grew up with in high school, they weren't smoking what they were selling. They were just selling they weren't applying anything. Their faith was an empty shell. It was a, a dried out husk of anything. Their belief system had no life change to back it up. And so this section of, of James kind of goes with the last section we talked about last week where James just says, don't merely look at the Bible. Don't merely read it. Good for you, you read it. Do what it says. And here it gets... The waters get muddy because we bring in our theologies. We bring in things that we don't even know we had a theology about this. And we start to question what James is saying. And many of us, including some people like Luther and Calvin, looked at what James said and goes, he's contradicting Paul. They're not. So we're going to do something different. We're going to go old school. We're going to go through this verse, uh, verse by verse through this section. What is James actually saying about our salvation? Because we all want to be saved. 
We all want to know that when we die or when Jesus comes back, we're ready to meet him face to face, right? I hope you do, okay? If you don't, we, you and I can go to coffee and talk. But this, this is what we need to know. So we're going to go through it verse by verse. And then at the end, there's some questions that we could talk about, okay? Ready? James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but, does, but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? We can, call, we can all admit to this, especially in today's environment, there's a whole lot to say about a whole lot of things, right? Everyone has about four different opinions about one situation. The sun rose today. There's six posts about Facebook about how maybe it did, maybe it didn't. It was green, it was blue, it was this. Everybody has an opinion about it. And then your opinion might change a few times throughout the morning. I've changed mine three times today about something. Ask Dylan. He was with me when it happened. We like to share our opinions. But when it comes down to it, our opinions are what? Our opinions. It's talk. And what is talk? Cheap. Talk is cheap. It's easy to have an opinion. And that's what James is saying about, talking about here in verse 14. What good is it if someone claims? They're having an opinion. The word for claim is the Greek word lego. Yeah, like lego. Okay? It's lego. It means this. It means to affirm, to maintain, to call out by name, to say or speak. Basically, James is saying someone here is talking a huge game. So what good is it if someone can talk a huge game? It's easy to talk. It's easy to have an opinion. But the question James wants us to get to is having an opinion just talk or can that save you? Save is the word that we want to clue in on here. If you have it in your Bible, circle it. If you have the app, highlight it. Save is what trips everything up. For James, he might be using that word for a couple different ways. The first meaning that James might be looking at, and it can be go in a few ways, is the most popular meaning when we read the passage. Most of us think about eternal salvation. It's as if it's, am I going to heaven when I die? I'm, or am I going to be with God uh, today? Is God with me now? This is the eternal salvation that we're talking about. When we die and eternity has faced us, we are eternal beings. Ecclesiastes tells us this. Eternity is written on our hearts. When we die, is this kind of faith eternal? So here's how it works when it comes to eternal salvation. Some people believe different things will lead to salvation. Some people think that works equals salvation. If you try hard enough, if you do the right things, if you help people cross the street, if you are, assist so many people, if you do good things, you produce a salvation. If you're a good person, you'll have eternal salvation. Some people believe this. It's a works-based salvation. This is not what Christians believe. It's not what the Bible teaches. This is a morality-based religion. And frankly, when you look at a lot of cults and you study a lot of uh, other religions, this is what they believe. Basically teaches that you can do the best you can and then you cross your fingers and then do the best you can after you cross your fingers, click your heels, do three turns, and hope that you're saved. This isn't what the Bible says at all. It's not what James is saying either. The Bible says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And it's not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. What's that tells us? It's nothing that you have ever done. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can brag about it. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. What does that tell us? Works do not produce the salvation that James is talking about. Then there's the other side here. All you have to do is have faith and then you have salvation. Just believe and you'll be fine. Just say the right words, have the right prayer, do the right things, and you're good. You don't have to worry about anything else. This is what we call fire insurance growing up. You can do these things, say these things, and you can be assured that you won't go to hell when you die. This is essentially faith salvation. James, however, says something different about this. He says our works... And our deeds, what we do, come together and are part of the equation. What good is it for you to have faith but have no deeds? Faith is in the mix. Our works are in the mix. What we do, the good deeds that we do. So somewhere they have to come to the equation and complete it. So it's not just faith. It's not all works. It's not faith only, it's not works only, it has to be faith. Okay, then it's this, faith plus my works, you make it right, right? No, it's not right either. It it rightly understands that works are part of the equation, that's good. But where the deeds are, mess it up. You see, we can believe that Jesus died on the cross, we can believe that he battled sin, he rose again from the dead, Uh, to atone for us, and we could place our trust in him that he finished the work on the cross, and, and we don't, and then if we think that Jesus did all of these great things, and now we have to work on top of that, then what good is the cross? So that doesn't work. This view essentially means that Jesus wasn't enough. We have to add to what Jesus did. You see how this can be confusing as you study this. I'm confused, and I wrote this. Where do faith and works line up? Here's how it works. Faith, and I was not good at math. Faith equals salvation and works. Faith gives you salvation. You are saved. You are justified. Justified means that everything you have done wrong in the past is gone. When God looks at you, he sees, the, he sees Jesus. Colossians talked about this. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Faith means that you are justified. Faith also means that you begin this long process called sanctification. Paul talks about sanctification. We've been freely given this gift of grace. We read that in Ephesians. Then, what do we do with it? Paul says in chapter 2 of Ephesians, work out what you've been given. So faith gives you salvation. Faith also signs you up for works. Works go with salvation. And it's important that you get those in order because now we're describing a different kind of faith. It's a living faith. It's a faith that does stuff. It's a faith that isn't useless. Genuine faith will produce salvation and genuine faith will produce a life change. So salvation is not only eternal salvation, it's also a daily salvation. Some people have been written it, written it this way. You are saved. You are being saved. You will be saved. 
You are saved now. You are justified. You are, you're in. You're on the list. You're saved. You are being saved. This is your sanctification process where you are working. This is the daily struggle we have to not sin. You are being saved. It's a present. It's active. And then you will be saved. It's a glorification. It's the future tense that you, when Jesus comes, or you, when you die, will be with Jesus, present from, absent from the body, present with the Lord. You are all three of those tenses at one time. And this is why you're so tired. Because you're three things at once. Thank you for the four people who got that. This word to save in our culture is used in a lot of different ways. That catch saved the game. That deal saved my job. That conference we went to uh, as a husband and wife saved our marriage. The premarital we worked through saved our relationship. Uh, it means that you're preserving something specific. And here's what James is getting at. If you want to be saved, you'll do what God says about your life. It's simple. If you want to save your marriage, you do what God says about marriage. If you want to save your finances, you do what God says about your finances. If you want to save your parenting, you do what God says about parenting. If you want to save blank about your life, you do what God says about blank about your life. This is what James is getting at. You have faith, and then your faith goes into actions. It's not just believing what God says about these things. That's great. It's actually doing what God says about these things. It's a complete echo from the passage we looked at last week. Do what it says. It's not the ability to know theology. It's not the ability to read the volumes of theology. It's not the ability to recite this passage in the original Greek or Latin or King James because they all sound the same. It's not the ability to, to do all of these things. It's the ability to put it into practice. It's a lot easier to say this, love your enemies. It's a whole different ballgame to actually love your enemies. And this is what James is getting at here. It's one thing to say you love them. It's another thing to actually do it. Our faith needs to lead to the application of something we already know. And luckily for us, James gives us an, a, a, a little story of what he means. He says this, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. Now we need to talk about something. James is Jewish and Jewish people have a great sense of humor. We just have to realize it back then. Okay? They used extremes in order to get our attention. This is what James is doing here. He's not giving us a command. He's showing us a picture of what he means by actually practicing what we talk about. So someone you know is in desperate times. They tell you they've lost their jobs. They lost it a few months ago, and times have been rough. They're being evicted, and it's a totally embarrassing for them to say this to you, but they have no clue of where they're going next. They have no clue of how they're going to have the resources to continue to put food on the table. They're out of options. This is happening around us. We can all admit that. This kind of thing is happening. And so here's your response in James', in James story. So you look at them and go, oh, well, that's too bad. Boy, that stinks. Bummer. I'm sorry you're going through that. And then you finish with this. Well, go in peace, stay warm, be well fed. But you do nothing to help them in their physical needs. Do you see what James is saying? You're naked. You have no clothes. Well, stay warm. Okay, good job. You're hungry. You have no idea where you're going to get food. 
Well, be well fed. Do you see the extremes James is playing? It's you know what this person needs. You know in your head what they need. You also know in your head what the scripture talks about when it talks about taking care of less fortunate people. I know they're hungry. Well, have a good dinner. Hope you get reservations. Good luck. Oh, I know you're miserable. Oh, I know you have nothing. Well, go in peace. Stay warm. It's going to be cold tonight. Even though you're naked, I'm not going to give you any of the jackets I have. James is playing on this extreme in what's going on in the church. He's being ridiculous here. Because in his mind, having a faith and words and knowledge is nothing until it comes to actions. Faith that does nothing is ridiculous. What good is it? Because many professing Christians in James' day and many in our day have a faith that is essentially good for nothing. We believe it but it does nothing for our lives. Here's James's point. In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. That type of faith that James describes is not alive. If my faith isn't doing, then my faith isn't living. James's question to us is, do we have or do you have a living faith? The point of James's lines of question, he wasn't out to prove that we're saved. But that's where most people want to go with this passage. I want to prove to you that I'm saved. Because it's a lot easier to talk about grand theological ideas or debates than it actually is to put them into practice. The nature of salvation is not about the the daily results of salvation. James wants us to look at the results that we have. He wants us to think about our lives. He wants us to think about our faith. He wants us to think about our choices, our sacrifices, or lack of them. He wants to know if your faith is alive. And I'll be real honest with you. Looking at this passage this week, even into last night and this morning, this is a hard passage to study. It's not an easy word to give. And when you dig into it, it shouldn't be an easy word to hear. Does your faith line up with your actions? He's not comparing the two. He's not, saying, he's, he's not saying that faith and work are enemies. They're on the same team. What he's doing is comparing living faith and dead faith. Look in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. Have you ever argued with yourself in the shower? It's an honest question. Or when you're driving? It's the best place to argue, right? You win every time. And if only your arguments went that well in person. This is what James is saying. He's setting up this argument here. You say, but someone will say, and he probably has this someone in his mind. They'll say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. This is James setting up the argument. This is what's going to come back at him. How would you, this is the question for us, How would you show your faith by not doing anything? You can't. It's impossible. You can't show faith by not doing anything. I'll show you my faith, James says, by the choices that I make. We'll say this. You know that's cool. You're all about works, but I'm a Christian and I'm all about faith. And then we start to miss it again. Because we assume faith alone is good enough. 
James comes back and says, no, you've corrupted the very nature of faith to make it say it only matters what you believe and not what you do. James says the opposite here. What you do or what we do matters. Works explain your faith. I'll show you that I have faith by what I do. How many of you remember Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? It's the second movie I ever saw in the theater. Do you remember? Because like, when we grew up, movies were bad. Cinema, cinema. And so we couldn't go to the movies, right? And so uh, somehow that changed. I guess they accepted Jesus, and then we can go see movies. The first one I saw was The Hunt for Red October, one of the greatest movies ever. The second, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Third, Hook. And that's why Hook is the best. So... But there's that scene in Indiana Jones, and what's he do? He stands on the edge of the, the fa- of the cliff, and what's he do? Have faith, and he steps off the edge. Could he then say, I have faith, and stand there? Would it work? No. James is saying the same thing. In order for you to have faith, you got to take the step. In order for you to get any good use out of the juicer in your cabinet, you got to use it as a juicer. you got to use it. In order for you to have faith that works, you have to put it to use. You have to apply it. You have to do what it says. James continues, and he gets a little punchy. You believe that there is one God. Great. Good for you. There's a little thing that James is doing here. The phrase, you believe that there is one God. He is referencing something in Jewish history called the Shema. The phrase, one God, is how it begins. It comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your, our God is one. Love the Lord your, the Lord, I'm sorry, I rest that up. Hear, Israel, the Lord is our God, and the Lord our God is one. It's called the Shema. Shema is Hebrew for the word hear. Hear, O Israel, Shema, O Israel, hear. That is one. And then it goes on to say, For the Lord your God is with you, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. We've heard Jesus say that. So James is saying here to a bunch of of rule-abiding Jewish people, good, you know the Shema. You pray that every day like you should. You know it. You believe that there is one God. Awesome. You have the right theology. You know what to say. You can say the right prayers. And then he continues. Even the demons believe that and they shudder so even the demons believe that there is one god even the demons have right theology even the demons know that god is one even the demons know the power of the almighty god and they shudder you notice something james is talking about a response hey even the demons have right theology and they have a response they shudder In other words, you have the right theology and you don't even shudder in fear. So even the demons are responding. How come the demons who take the theology have the right theology and apply it the wrong way? How come they have a response and you who are Christ followers have the right theology but a bum of a response? James is saying here, you need to respond. The demons have faith. They respond, why aren't you? James uses that phrase that we use when we're in arguments with someone. Well, at least they did this. Well, at least I didn't do that. James gives us the at least. At least the demons 
respond. The demons can make a change, but why haven't you? Verse 20, you foolish person, you do what, do what, <laughs> you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You know that story? Abraham, I'm going to make you a great and powerful nation. You're going to have children that cover the seashore like the sand, the stars, and the sky. Uh, Abraham had a problem. He didn't have a child to start this nation. And so God gives him Isaac. What's Abraham do? In, in Genesis, Ab uh, God comes to Abraham and says, I uh, wasn't going to tell this whole story, but now we're in it. Uh, God comes to Abraham and says, take your son Isaac, the son of the promise, and, and take him on top of Mount Moriah. I want you to sacrifice him. Now, put yourself in Abraham's shoe. You're 90-something years old. You're cracking 100. It took you this long to have this child, and now you're going to sacrifice this child? Okay. What's Abraham do? He has faith in what? Faith in God's promise. Now, he could have had faith in God's promise and stayed in his camp and go, I still have faith, God. No, God tests Abraham, and Abraham does what? Abraham goes. Abraham's faith makes an action. Abraham acted on his faith. He responded to what God said. And if you don't know the story, Isaac lives. It's a, it's a happy ending. It would be an awkward dinner from there on out between Abraham and Isaac and Sarah especially. You did what with the son? I uh, can't believe you. Uh, but this, Isaac lives. Abraham had faith, and he put that to action. He applied his faith. When you think about the heroes in the Christian faith or in your life, what makes them heroes? Is it what they thought or what they did? I have a hero and he was one of my dad's friends. He's a missionary in Nepal, still there. His name's Bob Adakari. I get his emails every month. Bob has faith. I love reading his emails, not because he tells me about the rich theology of which he has. The dude is brilliant. Bob's faith inspires me because I read the stories of what happens when he goes into towns in Nepal. His actions inspire me. When we look at the heroes of our faith, Hebrews of Levin, when you go down the line, what's inspiring about these people? The fact that they had right theology or the fact that they did something about it? Which one's more powerful? James says this, you see that faith, that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a righteous person is considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. And then all the Protestant Christians who have been told all you have to do is believe and do nothing else go, what? How can this be? Because Paul says that we are justified by our faith and not our works. And James says this, it's a massive contradiction. It's not actually. They're saying the same thing. Paul says you can't earn salvation by your works. James says nothing about earning salvation. You already have it. Paul says you can't earn it. James says, work out what you already own. And that's actually something that Paul says. Work out what you already have. Let it change you. Paul says you can't work to get this. James is saying, once you have it, you can't help but work it out. 
Paul says, this is how you become a Christian. James, Mr. Practical, is saying, this is what you do once you already are a Christian. Paul says, this is the root of your faith. James says, this is the root, and here's the fruit that comes from it. Paul tells us how we're Christians. James says, this is how I know I'm a Christian. Our works are displayed by what we believe. In the same way, he continues in verse 25, was not Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did by when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different location? Of course, everyone looks at Abraham for the example, right? He's the father of the Jewish nation. He's the father of the religion. Everyone wants that. So what's James do? Let's look down the line a little bit. Let's look at Rahab. She was a prostitute. She's a great example. Why? Because what she did not just because she believed that God of Israel was going to come take Jericho. She knew that, but she acted. And then the last verse here. As a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Spirit is the same word for breath. A body without a breath is dead. A body without a breath is like the roadkill on the side of the road. It's just laying there. What do you call it? dead. The other day my son tried to pick up a dead raccoon in the street. It was, it was fun. It's a corpse. I almost let him. It's a corpse. It's not alive anymore. It's not them anymore. It's not the raccoon. It's not, if, if any of you have ever been around a, a dead body, that's not them anymore. It's what used to be them, but it's not them. And James is saying this, it might resemble your faith without works might resemble faith. It's not faith. It might look, it might sound, but it's not. Faith alone produces salvation. And where there's salvation, you will find works. It's rare in our church and in our culture to find people who profess the name of Christ, but, or it isn't rare actually, but in reality, live just like the person who doesn't know Jesus. It's quite common, actually. Everyone's a Christian. So it's not rare to see this. I believe in Jesus, but you live and you act and you speak not a lick of difference from the person who doesn't know Jesus. And this is what James is saying, that you are a church, you are a Christ follower. You are marked by the way you live. So your faith should make you radically different. And it means this for us. It means that we sacrifice. It means that we die to ourselves. You give up things for better things. You give up destructive behaviors and patterns of living for a better way of living and a better behavior. Our living reflects who you are and who you believe in. If you have a relationship with Jesus, question I have for you is when did things begin to change for you? If you have a relationship with Jesus, when did the change hit? How have you been changed? Have you been changed? Did the change begin when you chose to trust God in faith and apply what he said to do and did that change you? And until you do that, the things won't change in your life. 
God is inviting you to this faith journey, not just so you can say you have faith, but so that you can be transformed. And he puts things in our lives and says, I want you to address this. And until you address this, I can't get you to that. Because this leads to this, leads to this, leads to this. So God puts these things in front of us and says, change, transform, renewing of your mind so that you can be more like Jesus. And we're going to start here. And you go, but I like that. And God goes, I know, I don't. We need this removed so I can make you more like Christ. What's that thing that you just won't give up? What's the addiction? Is it pornography? Is it food? Is it money? Is it approval? What is it? Your faith should change that. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy to give up. It doesn't mean that it's going to be cakewalk. It's going to be hard. Why? Because it was never meant to be easy. But it's worth it. Your faith should change you. And what's the step that God is calling you to today? And how should it change you? Your faith won't be useful until you change and work with your behavior. It won't be useful until you actually use it. And so for many of us today, even me included, we need to take our faith out of the bottom drawer of our kitchen where the juicer is and take it out Maybe you blow it off, do what you got to do, whatever's on the juicer. Set it out and begin to use it. Begin to allow God to work with you and say, this needs changing. How do you know what needs to be changing? You spend time with Jesus. So maybe it's sacrificing a little bit of your sleep so you can get up and spend 10 minutes reading the Bible. Maybe it's sacrificing a little bit of TV time or Facebook time, social media time, whatever you do. And reading some of the scriptures. James says it begins with the word of God. Right here. And then allow God to transform you and put your faith into practice. Easy steps. If you want to get to know somebody, you spend time with somebody. If you want to get to know Jesus, if you want to get to know God, you spend time with them, and then you get to know them. And then you hear their voice, and then you can hear God's call on you saying, transform here, transform there. But you're not going to get to know them unless you spend some time with them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that our faith isn't something that we just say. We thank you that when, we, when you talk about faith, when you have us have faith, it's always accompanied by something of action. Jesus, you say that you'll know us by our what we do. You'll know us by our fruits. And James says the same thing. And so God, as today we look at you, we look at the cross, we look at your faith that went to action, placed on yourself on the cross for our benefit. Jesus, what are some of the things that we can put on that same cross and give up and put to death so that we might find new life? What are the areas in my life, Jesus, that need to change? 
Lord, may our faith be put to work. And may our works show our faith. And then may the people around us say, that place is different because they actually do what they say they believe. It's in your name we pray.